I'm Sandy Swallow. I'm Okalala Lakota and Northern Cheyenne. I've been an artist for over 30 years and through my artwork have portrayed my heritage. Now I'm starting a brand new venture called Lakota Link and I'm here to share with you and I hope you enjoy it. Lakota Link. Greetings from the home of the Seven Council Fires, land of the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaties, bringing stories old and new of Lakota values, courage, respect, wisdom, to name a few. Hihani wash day, a good day to all of you out there listening, and it's a good day here in South Dakota, the sun's shining, and we've actually got 36 degrees, which is feeling pretty nice because we've had such a cold spell. Well, I'm going to continue with my man of mystery, B.B. Mills, my great-grandfather, his life was really very interesting. You know, I've done some research with Fort Laramie and and also seen the census back then in like 1870 and so. What I'm relying a little bit more on is my family, my um, mom who passed away, but she was born in 1924. I'm just going to read to you my uncles, and so you kind of get an idea of of where we're at with, with family. There was Thomas Ray and Dave, now this is Mills, Thomas Ray Mills, Dave Mills, Patsy Mills. Patsy was, uh, did not live to be a very old age. Sydney, my uncle Sidney was born in uh, 1902. Walter was born in uh, 1903. Roy, Emma, my aunt Emma, I knew really well. She, she. Um, was married to Pete Puyer, and she didn't have any children. He had been a widow, and he had three girls that she raised as her own because he is widowed when they were little. But I, I'd like to t- tell you about my Aunt Emma because she was so kind to my sister and I. I can remember coming back to South Dakota, and she took us to the Woolworths downtown and would let us pick out things to buy. And back then, that meant a lot. That was really fun. My Uncle Henry, Willie, and my Aunt Lula. I'm hoping to get some of my cousins from her side, her family, because um, I, I always admired my Aunt Lula. She was married to... A brewer, and she had thirteen kids. And her husband, she was widowed fairly young. I, and uh, she raised those kids, and really was I. I felt a very kind woman. I always really 
thought a lot of my Aunt Lula. Then Uncle Ray, he was born in 1915. My Uncle Chet was born in 1916. And then there was two um, young boys uh, that was born in 1919 and 1922, but they didn't live very long. I'm not quite sure what happened. So my mom was born in July of 28, 1924. Well, I became very interested in history, actually pretty young age. And so uh, I asked my mom about her history because she was always proud of, of her family. And this is what her and Aunt Lula sat down and they wrote a chart. And so this is where I'm getting a lot of my information from. I think they would know because they were the grandchildren of B.B. Mills and they would have heard their folks talking about them. So I'll I'll start with B.B. Mills. He was married to Sally Bush Mills and we don't know exactly the time that she was born, but they lived at Fort Laramie and she eventually came to Pine Ridge Reservation and we know that she was buried at the Holy Rosary Mission there at at Pine Ridge which now they call it the Red Cloud School so but it's up on the hill so they had Ben Mills, Tom Mills, Lucy Sears who, uh, she was a Mills, of course, and she died at Fort Peck, Montana, not having any children. Martha, Annie, and Julia. So those are the ones that I have, they had written down for me. One side note was Frank McMahon. He was white, and he was... He would have been my grandpa, Ben's first cousin. He lived at Fort Laramie and was also had lived at Salt Lake. Frank's mother was B.B. Mills's sister, which I found very interesting. So here we go with B.B. Um, Mills' continuation on his history and what we do know about him. As I told you last week, we know that he was a settler at the store and that I just can't help but think he was pretty highly educated because he had beautiful handwriting and obviously very good skills on adding and subtracting and and accounting. There We have some ledgers that he... uh, copies of the ledgers he had written on and did a very nice job on that, very legible. So I'm going to go back to the Fort Laramie treaties and that, you know, there was pictures of him there 
and think uh, thinking about the fact that he knew how to speak, of course, English and Lakota and, you know, probably some of the other dialects because there was a lot of Cheyennes and a lot of Arapahoes that came in to, to Fort Laramie. I'm just going to read you a little bit about an interview with Red Cloud, and this was held in June uh, 1870, and I find it very interesting. I won't read it all, but it says, "Red." this was Red Cloud speaking. He says, Father, I am chief of the Sioux Nation and have come to talk to you. I have not much to say. You whites looking at me, some of you got gray hair and some none on top. Now I want you to look into me that you have not treated me as you should have done. When I was a young among our nation, I was poor, but from war with our other nation and another, I raised myself to be chief and have been in 87 fights. Father, I want you to listen to me. I have been peaceable ever since and have been with my traders. But... The great father sends troops there to put roads through my country, and if blood is shed, it is not my fault, but yours in the Treaty of 1852. I was promised presents, but I did not receive them. And then he goes on to talk about the Treaty of 1852. And he talks about how he doesn't really care for Fetterman that was stationed there. Now, he he asked, they put uh, uh, Mr. Beavis and B.B. Mills in control of being like the superintendent of Pine Ridge. Then even Red Dog, who is also a chief, he, he mentions it. He says, look, Look at me at yourself. We are of one blood. When my father raised me, he intended to raise me with good blanket, leggings, and bow. And now you you are my great father, and I want you to do the same. When you send men out that they do not know my ways, they look to their own pockets and not to our interest. We want Mr. Beavis for our superintendent, B.B. Mills for our agent, and Bullock for trader. So it was common among the hierarchy, so to speak, of the Indians, the chiefs, that who they trusted. And, you know, more than likely they trusted these men because they had had uh, dealings with them, maybe through the store or also through family. My great-grandfather, B.B. Mills, married a full-blood Sioux, Sally Bush. Back then, so much was happening that trust was lost. And once trust was lost... It took a long time to build back. 
but they did, they knew who they wanted and they asked for them. Well, it didn't work out because Washington, D.C. did not honor that, their request. And I have this letter that um, I'm going to read to you. And basically, it's the Department of Interior, the Board of Indian Commissioners. And it was written in Pittsburgh in November 10th, 1870. There's some signatures on there, but the person who wrote it was Felix R. Brunette of Pittsburgh, and he was the chairman of that board. And he's writing it to the commissioner, to the Honorable E.S. Parker, Commissioner of Indian Affairs in Washington, D.C. And he says, well, he, he states that he was too ill to write a supplementary letter therefore referred to on the subject of the agents and trader proposed to be appointed. Red Cloud, having asked while in Washington that Mr. Beavis should be appointed his superintendent, Ben Mills' agent, and Major Bullock and Coffee traders. The commissioners were requested by the Secretary of Interior and yourself to examine the subject and report as to the suitableness of the parties named. The commissioners agree in conclusion that Mr. Beavis is not a desirable character to be appointed to an office in connection with the Indian Affairs. Mr. Mills, who was named for agent, lives a few miles from Fort Laramie, has an Indian wife and half-breed children. Formerly, it was said he was intemperate, but it is also said that said has been steady for several years. He is well spoken of by most persons at the fort and has the reputation as an honest, well-behaved man. I do not think it would be best to support Mr. Mills' agent. He is too nearly identified on a social level with the Indians and has too long been identified with them in the frontiersmen to have either the capacity or the inclination to do any serious work for the salvation of the Indians. To appoint him agent would be it seems to me a step in the direction of perpetuating past evils when a change in the agency should for this or any reason become necessary the consequences would be worse than any reason to fear now for not making the appointment so in other words he he thinks that it's best just not to appoint him Continuing on with the letter, I sincerely hope that in this case the president will persist in his policy and appoint to the Red Cloud Agency a Christian man under the nomination of one of the Christian missionary societies. It is proper to say that the, my colleague, Mr. Campbell, thinks it would be better to appoint Ben Mills. 
Mr. Bullock, who was named for traitor as a gentleman most highly commended by the officers of the fort and all to whom we applied for information. The commissioners think he is in all respects the best person to be appointed traitor when the agency is established. On grounds of exped expediency, we would also recommend the appointment of Mr. Coffee, with whom it is understood both Campbell and um, Richard are partners. Several others were named by the Indians, but it seems to me more are not needed. I do not apprehend a failure to appoint Mills would have any serious result upon the friendly conduct of the Indians. I think, of course, obstacles would be put in the way of the new agent at first, and possibly threats made, but they would soon find him to be their friend, and the traitors also finding it to be in their interest to sustain him, and troubles would disappear. Should the appointment of Mills still be continued to be entertained, I would like to have the opportunity to state my reasons against that policy more fully when my health permits me to state them in this letter. Very respectfully, your obedient service. Felix R. Brunet, Chairman of Indian Commission. Well, there it says it in black and white that he was not considered proper because I I feel like because he was married to a to an Indian and had half breed children, and I think they felt that he would perhaps be able to understand the Native American situation in ways that other people couldn't, and would have a heart for them, and so they didn't want that. It's kind of sobering to think that, but what I, what has been said later, the per person who I don't know for sure who he was, but that was appointed, did not do very good by the Indians, and, and people had a lot of problems from that, the people on Pine Ridge Reservation. So that that's kind of sad, but it's part of history, and I thought you should know about it. It wasn't very long after that that B.B. Mills passed away, and, and he's buried someplace, we think, in an unmarked grave by Fort Laramie, or Chugwater, Wyoming, somewhere in that area. And Sally was left as a widow with quite a few children. And after great-grandfather's death, the next time we hear about Sally Bush Mills, John Hunton's diary tells that she was seen riding by Thursday, August 31st, 1876. The term he used wasn't she. It was a derogatory term that was used quite often. But it said, uh, basically, Mills's woman was seen riding by.
well, this was about five years after his death. So we know that she she was still up in the Fort Laramie area at that time. Then the the next time we learned more about what happened to her was the finding the crazy horse surrender ledger and finding out that her name was on there. Uh, I've got a little side note of the story, how I came to find out about the ledger. I sell my note cards down to Fur Traders Museum in Chadron, Nebraska, and we happened to go down there and ask if they, this was the very first time, was going to ask them if they would be interested in note cards. Now, generally, most places are because they're not a high-priced item and tourists like to have them. They have my artwork on them, and then I do poetry on the back. So the young lady who was the manager there invited us in, and there was an older gentleman sitting at the computer, and he introduced himself as one of the museum volunteers. And, you know, he he had his back to us, so it wasn't like he was engaging us in conversation. But I don't know how I we got to talking to the young lady, and I told her who my folks was, and um, my mom being Ethel Mills, and he turned around and he started talking. Well, come to find out, and this will be a whole nother story about my mother's mother, Susie Adams, who married Benjamin Mills. My grandmother, Susie Adams' family, is there on the Pine Ridge Reservation. And this gentleman proceeded to tell me a bit about the family, which I hadn't really known. He he was a historian, and he said that, told us about this surrender ledger, and he told us that somebody in California had it and must have been in the family for many years, this a person in the army that was based there at Fort Robinson had taken it home with them and somehow it got back. So they, the historical society, and I'm not quite sure who it was, paid to, to get this back. And then the Nebraska Press, who is very well known, um, published it. And so it's called the Crazy Horse Surrender Ledger. And that's where the next time I I saw about Sally Bushmills was she was there with some family members. Now, for those of you who aren't real familiar with Fort Robinson, it's kind of in the northwestern part of Nebraska, and at one time it was a great big fort, and they would uh, bring Indians in to disperse the food and different things like that. But Crazy Horse came in to to for peace, and that's where he was ended up 
getting killed. So here in this area, it's a very famous place. And to find out that my great-grandmother came in with his band, you know, when they were with what they called the band, that would be the tribe that followed the leaders. And um, Crazy Horse brought in many people. It was up to the government to feed the families. And she had that she was head over the the family and that there was five women and four female children. And then on a different page it said there's two f- adult females, two children that are males, and four female children with a total of eight. And these rations were given out. Well, this was in 1877, so I can't help but feel that my grandpa, Ben Mills, was one of the male children. He would have been about six years old. And then, you know, they were told to go to different um, reservations where they were put on the reservation. And we do know that Sally passed away when she was on the Pine Ridge Reservation. And we do know that she uh, is buried there, as I said before, at Holy Rosary Mission. And then finding this ledger, I also found out that my other great-grandmother on my paternal side, Sarah Longchin, also was there. So there, and she was Northern Cheyenne. So this has been a great adventure and finding out more and more, just um, following the trail, so to speak, and find out more about your family. So I, I think I shared with you before that my folks moved to Utah when I was little from Pine Ridge and so I came back when I was 16 to live on the reservation. I was actually living there and was born down by Pine Ridge and um, for the first three years of my life but then they had a tough time on their farm and lost cattle and, and was unable to make it so we moved to Utah because my uncle Dan Swallow was there. So I wasn't around my um, grandpa. Uh, Maybe once in a great while we would come back to South Dakota and I got to see him. But he, at that time, was living with Aunt Emma and she and Uncle Pete lived in Rapid City. And so I was 12 when he passed on and I stayed that summer with my Aunt Jo down at Pine Ridge to help her because she had a big ranch. And, you know, I I don't know how much a 12-year-old really helps, but I did dishes and peeled potatoes and things like that. And then when I came back when I was 16, I just 
felt that tug in my heart that I wanted to be back to the sacred Black Hills and I wanted to be back here because this is where my heart was and always has been. So my Aunt Jo took me in. I'm going to continue on and I will continue with... uh, my cousin Walt Mills, he's my older cousin, and we had kind of an interview, and I enjoyed it because I learned a little more about my grandpa. And we'll uh, get into Susie Adams, my grandma, and I I just uh, hope you'll stick with me, and, and I hope you find history as interesting as I do, and Like I said before, if you have any idea of somebody you might want to have me interview, I'd be happy to try to do that. I'm trying to line up a few people that I think you'll find interesting. I like different subjects, but right now, I did a lot of history on the swallows, my dad's side, and so I decided... I'd go with the mill side with my mom's family. So, well, I must say I really appreciate you listening and sticking with me during this new adventure here in my life with the with the podcast Lakota Link. Thank you for being with me. Well, I hope you enjoyed our segment. You know, I I enjoy visiting with the people. And if you did, go to sandyswallowgallery.com where you can find my artwork and find some history and some background. Please subscribe to it or if you have some comments, we would love to hear your opinion. This is a new adventure for us and I value your opinion. This song is written and sung by my good friend, Quincy Goodstar. Lakota Link is here to share Lakota values. God bless you on your journey. Wopila, thank you for joining us.